welcome back to Smooth FM. There, you've just been listening to Bertie Wooster <laughs> and his jive band orchestra. You cool cats and kittens, you stuck around and you've hung out, and now let's get on with the jive. Welcome to the Tom, Dick, and Hyman show, the show the futurologists believe will bring down this wall, Mr. Gorbachev. I'm Hyman. I'm joined here by Tom. Hello. And our guest, our returning guest from our fifth episode, I believe. It was episode five, Episode yeah. five. Adam, bring on down. Come on down. Thank you. Thank you for having me again. <laughs> Today, we're speaking out about reclaiming the internet. Are we obsessed with racism? Mm, interesting topic. Yes. And we're going to get deep because most people forgot about it or ignored it, especially the adverts on the train. On the green room, brilliant movie, but uh, that's just a slice of it. Let's get on. Great job on the intro there, Hyman. I thought that was really good. One tries. That's my <laughs> plebeian voice. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, indeed, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Tom Dick and Hyman show. As uh, Hyman stated in the intro, there. Our first segment is going to be on a little campaign that was started on a Thursday by Yvette Cooper. Yvette Cooper, Tommy Cooper's wife. Oh, is that who she is? <laughs> <laughs> Who's going to say it? Who's going to say it? Just like that. Say Just Tommy like Cooper. Some... <laughs> Just like that. See this? Okay. Everyone does the same. Someone has to say it. <laughs> it's not a bad impression. Someone has to say it. But, um, yeah, Yvette Cooper, former home, shadow home secretary. Shadow home secretary. Uh, still current wife of Red Bulls, kind of inexplicably. Not shadow I wife of Red Bulls. <laughs> I wonder why she didn't take his name. The name is Balls. Yeah, probably because he's a dick as well. Yvette Balls. So she has this thing called Reclaim the Internet. Can any of us sum up what Reclaim the Internet is just off those words? Adam, what do you think Reclaim the Internet is? Well, from the handout in front of me. <laughs> no, no, no. What is it? What do you think from those words, Reclaim the Internet? Because yeah, that is some. I think people up. are a bit pissed off with the internet, aren't they? Because people write comments, and uh, those comments can be distasteful. Mm-hmm. Um, and people don't Rude, like almost. them, but then they can't help themselves but read those comments and leave their own comment, and it offends people. Why aren't we reforming the internet? I want a reformation age on the internet. Well, that's the point of the internet, is that you can't yeah. reform it. The internet, it's not the internet anymore. In essence, is decentralized, right? So I don't. Th- no one. Well, we mean, talked about this in the last episode. You can't really. Yeah. No one has ownership of the I, internet. I mean, it's technically the information is decentralized, but physically the hardware isn't. Yeah, exactly. Which is kind of crazy when you look at it that way. And um, obviously, there are Look, big. If, you, if you, people leave comments, you got to, you know. And if you want to leave a comment on this show, what's our email address, Tom? <laughs> oh, it is. Uh, oh God, put me on the spot here. Uh, Tdh. <laughs> no, they leave comments. You don't need to. You know, you know they just leave comments on. We've got one. They see it. One comment so far, I think. Oh yeah. Uh, that wasn't a bot. Do you know what I mean? That was actually a real human being. So far, we've had one comment. But the email address, Simon, tdh.show at gmail.com. I'm sure I'll remember that. Will it's you? just all a machine. So, isn't it? You don't know what's real and what's not real. It's a little bit weird. Yeah, I mean, that's... Um, so then people get offended when someone says something stupid, but who cares? The internet is decentralised. No one really owns it. But um, there are obviously big players on the internet who have larger spheres of influence than other players on the internet. So Facebook is obviously massive. Yes. Twitter is quite massive. Yeah. And so yeah, I think... I mean, can I just mention that it does actually bother me when the BBC advertises social media platforms like Facebook and uh, Twitter. Do they advertise? Uh, it? Of course they do. Well, they, they, they look they on our Facebook. Um, 
Looking at our Twitter. Like BBC News sometimes it's will, BBC, will do... BBC, should be saying. Um, that's advertising. For this Facebook. is what people on Twitter are saying, and here's what people no, on Facebook are saying. they actually say, look at our... Oh, right, yeah, of course. Yeah, like Andrew O'Neill. Andrew O'Neill? Andrew Neil. Have your say. Yeah. No, like, you're the news. The Tell BBC. me what's happening. They're doing advertising. Yeah. That's how social they, media um, works. BBC's always done that have your say kind of thing. All right. We, we've got points off, of view, obviously, as well. But We've gone off topic a little. But in fact, Cooper, I think what she's getting at, right, is she's saying the internet is heavily dominated by sexist, homophobic, racist trolls. Is that because she was looking at Ed Bull's uh, computer? Like his internet history? Yeah. Be, I don't know. I didn't actually think to check, does Yvette Cooper follow her husband on Twitter? Because I'd wager money she probably doesn't. The idea of her campaign, Reclaim the Internet, is to combat online abuse in terms of rampant misogyny, racism, xenophobia, homophobia, now the latest trend, transphobia. Is Yvette Cooper, is she the one that did the big pink bus? No, that was Harriet Harman. Ah, okay. But uh, we talked about in the last episode that unfortunately Adam wasn't here for and I was too lazy to edit so uh, get it published online for him to listen to but cyberbullying was something that we both agreed was actually that's a real problem right uh, being insulted on Twitter that's not a big deal you can kind of just as Tyler the creator would say walk away from the screen do you know what I mean you can, just, you can yeah, do I that. that you can log out of Twitter if you want to you don't have to put up with that abuse but cyberbullying is something that we both agreed is a real issue especially for teenagers right well I mean it's the only platform that they really um, talk on. Do you think maybe I mean, Facebook... Just, yeah, go on. Do you think they should raise the official age to be able to uh, use Facebook that you have to be is 13? And I think that's the same for YouTube and Twitter as well. Really? Now, Why not just make it 18? Yeah, but does that really have any effect anyway? Has that ever worked? Has anybody ever put in their real birth date? Has any um, prepubescent teenager ever actually said they weren't over 18? I, I, I quite like the idea of a porn site going like, you know what? You're plucky and you're honest. We'll just show you some of the boobs. It would be good if we could just teach kids civil liberties. Right. No, not to get offended. Teach them not to get Ever. offended. That's what we should be teaching people. It's kind of hard. It's like a reflex. We should be teaching our children not to be offended by what an idiot thinks or what other people really think about them when they get into That's what we should be teaching people. Yeah. But, but that's the thing. Like they, These platforms legitimise the the words that are coming out of these idiots saying, like, if I'm like... Uh, gives them weight kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, it, 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 it feels like the crowd is saying this to this person only because they're obsessed with what people are saying on yeah, the internet but, yeah develop a thicker skin kind of to thing. a certain extent yeah. but I mean for, for a teenager that, it's um, difficult for them say for example a teenager um, you remember what it was like at to school to them it matters you have all your classmates right and it, it would be bad enough if you did something embarrassing that would be bad enough that everyone in that class knows the problem with social media and the internet is that any sort of data and information on the internet spreads like wildfire globally in seconds right it can do. And that's why I think in truth, it doesn't. Um, it's certain it's things they flat. It spreads it's in the machine and it pops out these things. Chewbacca Monk. Think. Did oh, you see that one? I've heard of no. this. No, I didn't see any I don't of really them give because a crap. it's not as prevalent as you think. No it one is really if you're cares. online all the time, I guess. Yeah. We are men. Right. Yvette and Cooper isn't. Yvette Cooper. And look, people out there, who knows What's how that? devoted they become to the internet? Maybe it is an issue which we don't know about. You see, is that possible? Because we're not women. It's possible. 
it's possible. But, it's, yeah. So, so is this a thing about? Is this just a thing about like we've got to protect the people that are weak? Uh, yeah, she's women talking, aren't weak. <laughs> yeah, mostly she's obviously talking about women and girls on the internet because boys, yeah. boys can handle it first and foremost. No, I think and young no, men can. We've infantilized young boys. They're treated like sheltered, pampered shits. Yeah, I'm saying like this next generation. They're pampered. Yeah, they're mollycoddled. Yeah, if that's a word, is that the word? Yeah, and we're not making a complaint about women named Molly. But I think um, <laughs> you're getting to the heart of what I think this is about. All right, uh, yeah. Basically, well, in the internet, as we said in the last episode, because it's such a quick-fire medium, it's all about instant gratification, right? What spreads quicker? What are you more likely... What's easier? Doing a really well-thought-out, constructed post that's highly mm. intellectual or just being an outrageous prick? Like, do you know yeah, what I mean? Like, Gina is a slag. Like, well, the seat, you, got, you got to get close to the nub of the truth without being over the line. Well, Gina the line is, is a slag. <laughs> yeah, that's, I'll yeah, just cut through everything to say You that. don't know if they really feel that way. You don't know if people are just posting anything just because they can. I mean, it's like... Well, like, like if you, if stay, you just ignore it, it'll go away. Because <laughs> I think we're Or better, lose your phone, it'll go away. away. <laughs> I think we've had a lifetime, men, we've had a lifetime of ribbing each other, jabbing each other, poking fun. You do you got, know what I mean? you got to be able to take it. And I think bit. women don't do that as much as men do. So are when it comes to the internet, we, we uh, well, yeah. women are as strong <laughs> as men. They have the very, like a diff, a roughly the same type of analog like system we we have as well. Yeah, I mean, obviously you'd be quick to point out there's tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of women on Twitter, Facebook, but it's weak-minded people that demand to be, no, notice me, I'm in pain. Mm. All right. And it's, that goes beyond a point where someone goes I'm actually I'm feeling something but I can't actually construct how I'm feeling about this so I'm going to sh- go straight to either being a victim or actually living in that pain and then kind of killing yourself or something like that which is wrong which is wrong it's not we're not given the tools to actually as Adam said not be dicks or not learn or learn how not to feel something because mm, um she's fallen prey Yvette Cooper Mm. She wrote an article, I think, in the Telegraph, where, um, as we said in the last episode, how there's a there's this fallacy that the internet is just inherently a force for good, and that the internet can fix problems that are actually caused by the internet. And and Yvette Cooper's fallen foul of that. She's uh, she's saying the internet has caused this problem where it makes life difficult for women and girls, but the internet is the solution to this problem that's been caused by the internet. So this is the uh, the <laughs> this this is. Like a cross between the just say no campaign and the broken window criminology type thought process. I think people are waiting to be offended. Yeah, there I are definitely people out there problem. that are just waiting to be You're offended. teaching people that yeah. they need to be offended by, you know, what other people say. Mm. Although this isn't that. Um, oh, he's off something. As Hyman leaves us to take a phone call. <laughs> Although this isn't that. In order to have a discussion, you have to be prepared to be offended. Yeah. So, the very although least- these aren't discussions, these are horrible people leaving stupid messages on online or whatever, yeah. but... If you if you say you're offended all the time, you can't have a discussion. No, you're never going to get to any uh, centre ground with someone who's just morally you have to, you outraged. Have to people, I don't know. I wouldn't go anywhere. as far as um, this is um, Brendan O'Neill, editor of Spiked Online. His argument is that uh, freedom of expression, freedom of speech, means a duty to offend. 
Now, I don't go that far. I don't go as far as saying... I do, um, basically. Being, I offens- think, yeah, being I offensive for the sake of being offensive, to me, is kind of meaningless. It becomes meaningless when people don't really do it properly. Yeah, Otherwise, it's not, you're not having a discussion. Because, like I say, the people who are that... I call them the hypersensitive, always easily offended at the slightest thing, right? You could never, ever find a common ground with them. You could never actually be able to disagree with them without them taking offense to it. And so it's kind of like they're uh, they're almost emotionally blackmailing you in a sense, because obviously most people don't want to go around willfully offending people all the time, just being a dick for the sake of it. Most people don't want to do that. No, I might, no, I mean, I might do it anyway, just because that's the sort of person I am. <laughs> but no, you wouldn't do it 100 But maybe people are like that. That's a sort of a different thing to having a discussion. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. You wouldn't do it it's all the thing. time, though, would you? Yeah, I might do. I don't know. So if And there definitely are some people who will have multiple social media accounts just to be offensive on some of them. They'll have their one that they use for their friends. And, Probably. And then they've got other sock puppet accounts. Yeah. I mean, That's so right. far, the Reclaim the Internet campaign. Shouldn't they be doing something else with their lives? Yeah. When, they, when you go to the Reclaim the Internet campaign website, they don't actually proffer any solutions whatsoever. Like, none. They're just saying, oh, uh, at the moment we're in a consultation with different groups to talk about what we should do about it. Sure. So at the moment, it just a kind of it amounts to sloganeering more than anything else. It's not really a campaign. But this isn't the... It's making uh, people aware of something. Yeah, because I first became aware of this idea that this almost puritanical idea of we have to protect children and women online a hell of a lot more. Last year, when uh, there was a group of women who went to the UN, and I think they were like YouTubers, and some of them had their own website kind of thing. And they I were, don't know about um, women, but children. Yes. Yeah, but that's better. I agree with that. What's needed to protect children from the internet is better parenting. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's kind of unavoidable in that sense. There's only ever so much you could do to protect your child online. Mm. But last year, a group of women who have uh, been on the receiving end of online abuse, quite famously, went to the UN. And uh, basically, the they were trying to argue that the UN has to step in when it comes to the internet. And you they tried to. this is what they tried to argue that worries me. They tried to argue that uh, online disagreement, mere disagreement, is akin to what they call cyber violence. What, what, wait, hold on. So if I argued with them, that would be actual violence. In if I lives. literally in front of them argued with them, and I say, or disagreed with their point, yeah. politely and quietly. Well, you would get, because like we say, any conversation, online conversation, 10% of the people involved in it are going to be dickheads for the sake of being dickheads. They're going to be trolling for the sake of it. And your legitimate criticism would get lost in the malaise. Yeah, I mean, somehow some people have to understand that the central point, the central emotional point of it is Gina is a slag. And everyone has to know this. <laughs> so anyway, these, these women that went to the UN, they argued something that has been previously quite thoroughly debunked, that video games and movies... Oh, they brought up past history versions of, well, it happened with this, and this is the next generation of that, so... Yeah, Yeah, all the best ones were like that. (laughs) When all of these ideas uh, discredited back in the 90s, Jack Thompson, was that his name? The one who tried to argue video games was making uh, teenagers violent. Really? And it turned out there was nothing to it whatsoever. It's like the the comic book thing. 
Uh, back in the and was it Adam? Was it the forties? And heavy metal music. Yeah, like because Adam, what do you think would happen if this uh, notion became an accepted norm? This idea that mere disagreement online equals cyber violence, uh, an act of violent assault. What's really likely violent. to happen to internet discourse if that becomes the accepted orthodoxy? Well, it won't happen, will it? But it will happen because that's the internet. Don't worry. But these two women, the reason why I didn't like what they were doing is because I know, matter-of-factly, they were two people who had engaged in online abuse themselves. Okay. And it's like, how can you be that hypocritical? Wait, how hold can on, you two send people out from hate? the UN? Uh, people that went to the UN to kind okay, of testify these two people, in a way. Yeah, okay. uh, One was Anita Sarkeesian and the other was Zoe Quinn. And uh, they did. They were on the receiving end of a lot of hateful tweets, right? But at the same time, that's because on the internet, if what you're giving out could be considered hateful, what you're going to get back is going to be hateful. There's this image, this meme, internet meme, where um, a woman's got this spade and she's digging into like a pile of dung and she's throwing this, she's flicking this dung over a wall and the wall's called the internet. Yeah. And then all the shit that she's flinging over the wall comes all like they, whoever's on the other side of the internet wall is flinging it back over her, right? And when she gets hit with it, she's going, oh my God, misogyny, I can't believe this. Like, so you know I mean? so in, in essence, it kind of feels like that, that meme or that type of analogy feels like everyone's slightly blindfolded when they go on the internet they just write or shout whatever and they kind of go like they shout and the response is not what they wanted because say there are two sides to every argument one side always views the other side as just trolls haters pieces of shit they never they never have enough charity in themselves to try and understand to kind of go well they have a point you may be a neo-nazi fascist pig but um yeah <laughs> for, I, disa- I, for disagreeing with me oh no 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 just the uh, the person may actually be a neo-nazi fascist pig but you know what <laughs> you're quite elegant Sorry, quite eloquent. Eloquent. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was a Freudian slip. No, there, there, there seems to be like this this prescient manner in how people think. It's either or, it's binary. It's you're either on or off. You're with me, you're against me. There is no space to learn, to grow, to, to think. I don't have to agree with everything you say. But if I don't take in what you say, mm. how do I know that the points that I think are right if I don't actually put them against something? Yeah, because almost every conversation online involves one or more parties talking past each other rather than to each other because neither side is listening to the other. Oh, like I'm waiting for you to finish talking so I can make my point. What? You just spoke for about a minute and a half. <laughs> I'm, ki- I'm kidding. I'm making a joke about what you... <laughs> Fucking cunt. (laughs) Blocked. (laughs) That's what happens. No one can take a real argument. They get offended. So they these these two women I can't remember their names of the group Anita Sarkeesian and Zoe Quinn they want governments to step in and do what I I mean I think their position almost was basically to criminalise anyone disagreeing with them because they they made a point of saying oh it's not just death threats it's not idle rape threats. It's the fact that it's a constant stream of people disagreeing with your opinion and saying, coming to the conclusion that you don't know what you're talking about, you're just an idiot. And she was saying that should be considered a violent act. It's almost guaranteed that reclaim the internet, That's it's likely they're going to advocate that government should have wider surveillance powers 
so should have uh, the ability to censor more people online so go beyond the threat matrix of terrorism and kind of go like well you've already got this infrastructure set up theoretically who should be in charge of deciding what's allowed on the internet and what isn't the person that wrote the dictionary (laughs) i vote for myself what do you say i think the person that wrote the dictionary his family and the the lineage of his family they defined what words are they should have the right to to define if these people are if anyone is using these words the right way well do you remember when um theothesaurus that was it i think it was episode three where we talked about where um rabid feminists tried to get rabid feminists removed from the dictionary do you remember that i think i remember that yeah maybe that's how it should go so for anyone who wants to talk about white people only white people should be allowed to where are all the white women at what can be said about white people and like do you know what I mean break it down every ethnicity like that <laughs> I think another thing that's definitely likely that Reclaim the Internet will advocate for is Difference. people people should have to use their real names that any account you make has to have your real name attached to it yeah that's really great for security and stuff isn't it exactly you'd be massively vulnerable. If you were a victim of online bullying, if you had to use your real <laughs> name, you'd only make it a hundred times worse. Because how would you hide from the bullies if you couldn't use a fake name? Because there have been, of course, I mean, like anything like this is uh, going to encourage witch hunts. And innocent Where are the witches going to hide? <laughs> <laughs> but innocent people do get caught in the crossfire, right? Um, I can think of an example. Like Peter File. You remember Madeleine McCann? Little girl went missing. Mm. In, uh, was it Portugal, I think? Or Spain. Maybe Spain, yeah. And um, there was this woman on Twitter who was convinced that uh, Madeleine McCann didn't disappear at all. Something like she... she she's, believed, in, she's in all our hearts. <laughs> she believed that the parents themselves killed Madeleine McCann and tried to cover it up with this story of she was kidnapped. Her name was Brenda Leyland, a.k.a. McCann Troll. And you might recall that um, a Sky reporter found out her real name and went and knocked on her door with her, like, a camera crew and everything. And I think it was on live TV as well. And so she was exposed as a McCann hater, a Twitter troll. Mm. And then a couple of days later, she committed suicide over the embarrassment of it all. So she, she committed suicide because Sky That's News... Terrible, and other, and other media outlets kind of jumped on the bandwagon. Yeah, they did what the internet term is called doxing, where you take someone and you expose their real name, their address, their employer. Oh, the whole, like the whole Sun thing where they go like, we've got a list of pedophiles in your area and we're going to release <laughs> them. That's weak, all right? That's weak on her just because she committed suicide. It's fucking shitty yeah. that Sky went and did that, but that's what they do. Was she really a public figure, though, in that sense? No, it doesn't matter, because the media made her a public figure, and as soon as someone put her on a box... By exposing her. Yeah, as soon as someone put her on a box, it was fair game to kind of do this. Because I think it's likely her employer got in touch with her, if she had one, assuming she had an employer. It's likely that they probably called her and said, look, uh, we're going to have to have a serious chat Monday morning about... um everything that's going on and she would know straight away i'm losing my job do you know what i mean i, I can't remember if but, she was employed or not but why why would she lose her job on saying something like this because it was got national exposure reclaim the internet campaign they're obviously only really focusing on the effect of online abuse uh, what effect it has on women but most online abuse is really directed at men i mean the most severe forms like cyber stalking that happens to women much more than it happens to men right but in terms of just being on the receiving end of just hate-filled comments day in day out that does affect men more than women but like we said at the beginning i think men are more accustomed to little back and forth bits of what we call banter 
I mean, I, d- I don't like banter. I hate fucking banter. I really cannot stand it. Obviously, men are not victims of um, what that Cooper mentioned, revenge porn. Oh, is that one of the points she was bringing up? Yeah, I mean, now, why do you think men, like, this doesn't, like, obviously, women are not They're adverse. the ones filming it. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, women aren't adverse to saying, look, I want a picture of your dick. I want a video of you masturbating. Do you know what I mean? There are some pervy women out there, right? They might well, but we might have be. the sense, men have the sense to not put their face in the frame. Really? <laughs> yeah. Is that your is that is that where you're thinking? Oh no, I want to hear this out. Tell me more. They rely. We rely on the that could be anyone's dick defense. That could be my dick. It could be anyone else's. Uh, no, no. So Reve- revenge porn works differently because men and women think about not so much sex, but how the sex is represented in society and how it's actually taught to them. Like it's still seen as shameful sex until you're in a a mutual relationship. Relationship, or until you're an adult nah, enough to, I don't, I don't think that's been true since like late sixties. I th- go on, sorry. Obviously, there's an indignity there. There's uh, there's a, a violation man, like in a, a way. Man. But I mean, the thing is, um, you've got to answer who. If someone's taking a photo of me on their camera, yeah, I don't own that photo. No, you don't. Yeah. But I mean, again, they could do anything they want with it, which is why not, if I'm naked, I'm making sure I'm putting something in front of my face. Do you know what I mean? Because I don't know what's going to happen with this photo. Revenge porn is power play. Thinking about this, the more we've been talking about this, the more I'm actually kind of... The the two women that went to the UN, Mm -hmm. I don't agree with the point, but I do agree that there's something has to be brought to our awareness that maybe society is slipping that this is the cultural norm just being a shit to each other on the net alright, yeah, it's shitty that we should, that they're not they're not getting thick skin thick skin, we're so thin skin but it's also shitty that this is not this is kind of like, it's just the way it is back in the olden days, I wrote a letter to someone, was the fact that I posted up a a campaign poster in the the, the town council thing saying um Gina is a slag. It's the hypocrisy of it all, though. A lot of the people that complain about online abuse are online abusers themselves. But I feel you're getting lost in the hypocrisy of it, and you're not getting the wider point of it. I think the campaign itself is just... All it's going to lead to is... Uh, the, uh, the reclaim the internet. Yeah. It's just going to lead to increased levels of self-victimization where women are... Because they're being told that their experience on the internet is going to be horrible, it's going to turn out into a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy where it really does turn out to be horrible. Or they'll start seeing things that there that aren't really there. They'll start seeing things they'll, in terms they'll, of... They'll build, it, they'll build a mountain out of a molehill. And that's why I think ultimately... This reclaim the internet, it's only got one direction it can go in, which would be to suggest the idea that men and women should just have separate internet experiences, that women should go to certain websites, men should go to certain websites, and just, you know, you can't let the two ever meet, because it might go horribly wrong, someone might get offended, someone might have their feelings hurt. The UN couldn't couldn't bear that, could they? Someone having their feelings hurt online. But I think this, I don't, I don't support this reclaim the internet. Alright, and we're back for segment two. Uh, This is something that's been on my mind the last couple of weeks. Uh, A question of, um, are we just a little bit too obsessed with racism? What, are we obsessed with people being racist, or being talked about, or everyone coming up with their own holistic ways of stopping racism, like you've got to walk backwards pouring like cod liver oil over your shoulder and that means racism's gone from your body. (laughs) 
We'll cut that. <laughs> <laughs> of course you'll cut it. You've, I've got no control over this. But like me, you have you cracker. noticed... <laughs> but like me, have you noticed it's an increasingly popular sentiment in Britain and America, uh, this idea that almost literally everything is racist? Yeah, I don't think it's that popular in America. I, don't, I mean, no. Racism is the quite only thing that happens in America. Don't talk over jokes. Them. People are quite comfortable that, worry, making racist jokes. In America, more so than they are here. I don't know. Uh, when was the last time someone got away with a racist joke? Who was, ben Stiller um, gets away with it all the time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, not Ben Stiller. What's his name? Adam Sandler. Oh, oh my God! Yeah, ben yeah, also yeah. Does it, but, but he Adam stopped Sandler being a comedian years ago. <laughs> True, he's always taking the piss out of Mexicans in his films. What one would call a racist joke? What would it be? It be interpreted as offensive? Yeah, but it's only mm. it's only time. Mexicans. Yeah, he tends to stick with like Mexicans, Thunder, yeah. Filipinos. Yeah, but I mean, what's coming out of academia at the moment? is the notion that society as a whole is racist because of its uh, inherently racist past that we can't escape from. Oh, my God. Shit happened in the past, for fuck's sake. <laughs> That's a Jew saying that as well. Get over yeah. It. <laughs> no, it did. No, I'm not saying forget it, but I'm saying if you want to move forward as a society, you've got to, you've got to grit your teeth and work with your enemies because mm. now they're your friends. I think um, uh, I think it is. <laughs> this this definitely, to me, is an American phenomenon that we've copied, and this is what we do in Britain. I've said this plenty of times before on the podcast. Whatever America does, uh, sooner or later, maybe like five, ten years later, we're doing the same thing, right? Okay. So, like, the expression BME is an American phrase meaning black and minority ethnic now it makes sense in america to say bme to put black on its own because most ethnic minorities in america are black but in britain most ethnic minorities are um i think they're asian yeah so we should really say ame here but we don't we say bme here as well just because the americans do which is stupid but it seems like the new ethos is that um it's not enough simply to just not be racist you have to be not enough to not be racist yeah you have to i love that adam what do you think racism is can you define what racism is uh racism is hatred of another race race i would call it let's say um, group because they want to widen the term to mean generally any sort of differentiated group you know any demographic to me therefore if you hate them you're you're a racist to me racism is prejudice against a defined ethnicity whereby you're attributing certain negative characteristics to the entirety of an ethnicity so saying all jews are greedy or money grubbers or what have you we paid for the drinks today it's the same same sort of thing (laughs) like i say it seems like it's not enough to be just not racist anymore you have to actively be anti-racist mm. and there's um On the this came it. out a so few... you, you it's almost like passive accusing people you've got to accuse people other kind people of. Of that's the obsession racist. i think is what the obsession is becoming it's just you point your finger it's, the, the, it's the mccarthy era trials thing mm. i'm not it but that person over there is a writer yeah. and he else? must be a communist but how else do you show you're a good person yeah. without Unless you're po- accusing we, other people of well, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a good person I'm yeah. a good per- that's basically what they're doing yeah, yeah. virtue signaling yeah yeah but there was a, an author marlon james who i think won the man marlon Prize. sounds like a fish but he uh, he did this video for the guardian where it's uh, the title is are you racist no is not a good enough answer and let's have a little listen to marlon what he's got to say so i have a question for you are you none or are you anti most of us are non-racist because racism is looked upon as some moral lapse we feel quite self-assured by simply not being racist i didn't vote for that guy i'm not burning any crosses i'm not a skinhead what you end up with is an entire moral stance, an entire code for living your life and dealing with all the injustice in the world by not doing a damn thing. 
So why are you sitting at home and watching things unfold on TV instead of doing something about it? Because you're a non-racist, not an anti-racist. Now do this for me. Take the C out of racist and replace it with a P. I'm not a rapist. I'm not friends with any rapist. I didn't buy that rapist last album. Meanwhile, people are still getting raped and black boys are being killed. It's not enough that you don't do these things. You're going to bed with a clear conscience is not going to stop college students from getting assaulted. You being so assured that you're not anti-black, anti-Muslim won't stop the next hate crime. We need to get active. We need to hold people accountable. We need to accept that what hurts one of us hurts all of us. And we need to stop thinking that injustice going on in the world isn't to an extent our fault. We need to stop being none and start being anti. Oh, it's not enough to be... <laughs> so what you're saying, Hyman, what about what Marlon James has to say? Like Marlon James is a fish that's been caught on too many hooks and been thrown back into the sea. Ooh. Yeah, I'm calling him a mermaid. Is he saying you should be an anti-racist? So he's saying anti-racism means you actively, I think it's kind of like you're politically active. You're Yeah, it's some uh, the the idea is you have to be in motion or something. You can't just not not agree with something. You have to be actively pushing against the thing that you disagree with. The problem with this notion though, right, is that it does appear to be a tenet of anti-racism to say that literally everything is racist. Everything is But everything is racist. Yeah, basically, that's true, though. But the problem then is, any attempt to diffuse, defeat racism would be inherently racist. A losing battle. Yeah. So you're saying we should just stop giving a shit about racism, full stop? What is... No, I think maybe we need to refine the definition a bit more. Because they're saying the history of pretty much Western Europe, the Western world, is inherently racist, right? It's natural to be suspicious of uh, people like the term the other, what they call the other. tribalism. They love that term. So, so, therefore, the world is inherently racist because it's completely sort of like a natural reaction to a different group. That's what it is. I understand why... uh, Certain people hate white British English people because in our past we came over and took over the country. It's why I also think a lot of countries really hate Mongolians because back in the past, <laughs> those Mongolians, those Ert living fuckers took over <laughs> half the world, all right? Now you understand why Mongolia is, like, so dirt poor. That's <laughs> reparations, baby. That's what it is. But like you say, it does... Anti-racist movement does tie racism to imperialism, right? Oh, tie like a noose strangling someone dying. So well, um, it's the same thing to them. That's why they accuse... Where they see racism, they see colonialism. They see imperialism. Yeah. That's what they see. It's all the same ideologically to a certain way of thinking. It's all the same thing to them, which is evil. To but, them, it's evil. The knock-on effect of that, though, right, is that you end up at a place where you think only white people can be racist because pretty sure. much most imperialism was done by uh, European whites. So they come away with the conclusion that, A, only white people can be racist, and B, as a consequence, all white people are racist because we all come from the same society, the same sure. racist past. To a so, certain extent, they're right because it's unconscious. You can't help but be. Oh my god! It's like again, it's a total misunderstanding it's a, of the times you we lived in. All right, oh, uh, you can't put modern sensibilities on olden thought processes on on old history. You on can, the, in the sense of saying, do you know what, we were wrong to do that. You can't exactly. Yeah, all right, back then. You, they you, didn't you do can, it for racial issues. Like that, but they didn't do it like that. They weren't thinking like that. They you didn't take look, over the world because they didn't like black people. They viewed themselves as superior like to Indians. all other races, sure, which is people. like racism. 
because they're yeah. what an anti-racist would say to what Jaime just said there like mm. a kind of rationalising of it that's your white male privilege at work there sure. your white privilege oh, you, you had it all it yeah. is you don't have to think about I, racism my bit. He, it's right to a certain extent I don't it's right I, don't well, think I wouldn't about classify myself much, as white yeah. um, and I you know yeah this no, is um, but that's that's the thing like because I think like this or have that thought process in me I'm willing to change but because I have this understanding of context means I would want to not have it happen again right you wouldn't want to uh, it's foster why, the same environment that led to racist imperialism in the first place but um, anti-racists they insist that white people don't ever have to think about racism whereas ethnic minorities have to think about racism all the time all day every day now, I, I don't think that's true I don't think ethnic minorities genuinely are concerned about racism all day every day like if you uh, how would you ever make friends with anyone who wasn't a member of your race if you were constantly obsessed about racism if you were constantly thinking about it all day uh, if you were black you would never make friends with a white person because you'd always just automatically assume they're racist because they're white yeah yeah I mean yeah and you I can't think- do it all the time but it does occur I mean as a person as I said before I wouldn't define myself as white Wait. because I would view myself as an ethnic minority and it does it does play upon my uh, perception of the world. Do you think about it all I the time, though? Like I think every... about everything all the time. So, yeah. <laughs> but do you not? Do you not think thinking that way, right? Of constantly worrying who's racist, who's not racist, blah 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 blah. Doesn't that kind of make inter-race relationships? Does it just make it far more difficult than it perhaps otherwise yes, it might does. need to be? What it do you, does because you you're always you're walking on eggshells. When you're definitely dealing with white people, you're kind of always presuming that they're racist in the back of the, mi- the back of your mind. Do you know what I mean? It's always kind of playing on your mind. Wait, hold on. Is if, that what you're saying? Wait, are you saying for two Jewish people, I'm always thinking that, or not about white people specifically? As a white lay Christian. Lay, uh, lapsed Christian. Uh, Talking about me here. Are you? Yeah. Okay. All right. Do you, do you worry about other people looking at you and judging you or any sort? These days, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah totally. In multicultural. Because if, if the ethos is that everything is racist, then yeah, of course I'm concerned. And if the ethos is that all white people are racist, just inherently, yeah, of course I'm concerned. So that's the, the good that thing is that everyone should be concerned. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, no, that's it's going to fuel a, it's going to fuel this paranoia, and it's like, have you heard of um microaggression? The most common example being, um, uh, say the, you meet the lip sneer thing. Well, say you meet someone who looks, just say they look Chinese, right? And you go to them, oh, uh, where are you from? And they go Harrow, and you're mm. like, no. What's your ethnic heritage? Like, oh yeah, obviously, like Chinese. Whatever. Oh, I thought you were making it. That's considered. That's considered a microaggression. Just going to them. Where are you from? Oh, I'm from North London. Like, no, no, no. I meant what country? Like, do you know what I mean? You're obviously you're not white. Therefore, the assumption is you're not from this country. Do people do but that's that? That's not what people are asking. They're asking, what is your cultural heritage? Yeah, they're not There's... automatically assuming you weren't born here. Is it's it re- terrible what I just thought? Am I racist? No. No, no, no. Do you know what I just saw? That I was making a joke about being from Harrow. Yeah. Yeah, I was kind of, but... No, but what the word Harrow... Thing. Oh, what do you mean? It's Harrow. horrific. Does that, make, does that make me bad? That I laughed inside of that? That joke makes you bad. The yes. fact that I... It you, makes, you didn't make the joke. That's yeah. what makes it bad. Because I interpreted it. I was saying, where are you from? And he yeah. said, Harrow. Harrow. And I thought he thought he was saying hello. So you, I thought I thought the punchline was going to be... Adam. No, no, no. Where are you from? Don't... Yeah. You know. No, you know that, I mean? if I was going to do that joke, it would be... Am I a racist? Oh, my God. Who are you? Who? No, who are you? Who? No, who are you? You're both Illinois Nazis. But do you see what I mean in terms of um, when you look at the world in terms of everything is a microaggression, everything is this little snip, like little small yes, smidge is. of it's oppression. A, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, but that, 
that's like you'd a, feel shit about no, yourself that, no, all the fucking like a, time. That's though. like a dominant thing. That's, that's someone kind of going to like, oh, you're from there. I feel I have a judgment about you. You're going to like, what? What are you talking about? Like, Do you know how um, you can say almost any pejorative to a white person and it's just water off a duck's back, right? You know how human beings, we're social animals, we kind of get on each other's nerves every now and then, which means we're going to have arguments and they're going to get heated, right? And sometimes when you're having a heated argument, you want to say something to the other person to rile them up a bit, to piss them off. There's very, very few things you can say to a white person that will fuck them off like that, right? Are you the only two things you can really say to them, and maybe three things these days? Uh, you can accuse them of being a racist, that will bother them. You can accuse them of being a homophobe, that will bother them. And then increasingly these days, if you accuse them of being a transphobe, that bothers them, right? But calling them or the other end of it, or the other end of it, calling them a homo, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all the other ones are or signs a secret of their packy, <laughs> secret, secret crypto, packy. Crypto <laughs> What white person would be? I don't know. But, but do, you, do you know what I mean, though? Like a lot of a lot of pejorative terms don't land with any impact on white people. Like obviously, the opposite example would be the M word. What nigger? You know I mean, yeah. Like you can't. You can. It's call, a word, people. You can call I, white people cracker, and it means nothing to them. They yeah, but care the cracker is an Americanism. But it's, it, I think it's easy to fall into a trap, though, right? Of saying to yourself, "Oh, I didn't get that job. Must sure, be because absolutely. they're racist." Do you know absolutely. what I mean? Whereas it could quite easily. I do have else. a bit of but it, it puts people in a bit of an uh, puts white people in an untenable position in a way, though. Because how, like, how do you prove a negative? How do you prove you can't? You're not a, a serious hardcore racist piece of shit. How do you do that? You can't really. You can't can't really. I mean, if the problem with um, anti-racism, I find, is they're putting whites into an untenable position where there's nothing that they can do that would be good enough to show that they're sufficiently anti-racist. There's no you. You can check your privilege as much as you like. An anti-racist is still going to point to you and say you are a racist. You are the beneficiary yeah. of racism. But, but uh, putting whites in an untenable position like that, all that's going to lead to, in my opinion, is whites being apathetic to racism. So when someone mentions racism, white people's eyes are going to their brains are going to switch off. It's a little bit original sin esque. Do you know what I mean? The, yeah, the son is guilty for the father's sins. You have to sins. admit that you're a racist unconsciously. That's why I did that <laughs> at the beginning of this podcast. But my fear with anti racism, like, take for example, what if you're mixed race? What if you're half white, half something else? Anti-racism would pretty much pressure you into identifying as anything other than white, even though you are half white, right? So you've got white relatives, white family, white ethnic cultural heritage. But you, you're basically, you're forced to give that up yeah, because otherwise you'd have to check your white privilege, do you know what I mean? And who wants to do that? But I feel like uh, they're putting mixed race people into a really difficult position as well, where you're kind of, you're forcing, anti-racism is forcing them to pick a certain ethnicity one no, over the no, other. A weak-minded person defines themselves by the, the crowd that accepts them. But do you think that's kind of uh, anti-racism confines things, it simplifies things, it reduces things too much in terms of uh, an individual of certain ethnicity should always or should be expected to think a certain way on a given topic of by virtue of what ethnicity they are? If that no, question makes sense. No, a, a, per, a, a person like that should understand that, yes, your first processes are coming to have broad thought. Maybe. This is the first place you get your information from. But again, understand the world and the context of everything that's happening and know that, yeah, this is subjective where I'm first coming from. Mm. Anti-racism almost kind of, it seems to me, to be advocating this idea that if you are a young black man, you should have 
all uh, you should share the same opinions the same life experiences of every other young black man there's no room for individualism individualism there they want to make there no difference between people and all that sort of shit I understand right but a general thought is that everyone has to have the same opinions basically Mm. about everything you know and if you you have to hate racism because you have to show you you have to demonstrate you're a good person the only way you can demonstrate is by being an anti-racist and pointing out people who are racist saying that is I'm offended by that blah 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 all that sort of stuff I think what it's happens? a bit hollow, though. It would kind of fuel witch hunts. You, to, yeah. to prove how anti-racist you are, you would feel... That's exactly what it does. Uh, Defeats you'd feel like you're purpose. encouraged to kind of just keep pointing your finger all the time. And oh, you start using it as a weapon. Oh. Adam, final word on are we obsessed with racism? We certainly, nice bring, the topic up. I am. <laughs> we certainly bring the topic up enough. For some reason, I am. Yeah. We talk about racism a fair amount. The, 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 yeah, the society is a bit obsessed with it, and the media makes it more of an issue than it should be, really. What bothers me about it is just, uh, it's kind of sloganeering at the moment again to mirror what we said in the first segment. And um, I don't like sloganeering. It comes back to the witch hunt, that's what you were talking about. It's the same thing. But I think this, what will change these things isn't slogans... It's not checking of privilege. It's it's smart ideas that are going to change society for the better, right? And I'll give you an example of what I think is quite a smart idea in terms of anti-racism. Um, there's a notion now that when a recruitment agency is sending CVs off to an employer, that they sh- the, the name should be removed from the CV. It should be withheld from the employer, right? So in case it's an ethnic-sounding name, the employer isn't going to know. And I think an idea like that is probably a good idea. That'd be a good example of something productive to do in terms of anti-racism. Whereas white privilege, check your privilege. But how would you? Everything know is racist. racist. This doesn't lead to anything good. Yeah, it's all a bit extreme either way. I think you've got to find a happy medium. Movie talk. What movie did we uh, go see this week, Homer? Well, we went to go see Green Room. Can get you guys a solid gig. Matinee tomorrow. Doors are one. You guys are on a three. Gentlemen, you're trapped. Things have gone south. It won't end well. Green Room. The basic plot is a kind of struggling, not so great punk rock band. They uh, they accept taking a gig in front of a bunch of neo Nazis, and um, <laughs> after their sets finish, they go back to the green room where they witness the aftermath of a really brutal murder. They see something they shouldn't have seen, and at that point, it begins their fight for survival against these neo Nazi white supremacists. All right, quick question: Did you like this movie? Let's start off on that. I liked it quite a lot, actually. Yeah. Yeah, Adam, have you seen it? I haven't seen it. I have. Would like to see it I would quite like to see it what did you make of it Homer I love this movie I love this movie I mean it was really an amazingly grim film oh very dark yeah both sense like dark screen and also dark kind of plot line and humor involved the movie was directed and written by uh, Jeremy Solner 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 Solner. S-A-U-L-N-I-E-R sounds French to me and this guy Sony, yeah, Sony. this is like his second big movie he's made a couple of small movies beforehand but there's the movie beforehand he did a uh, blue ruin mm-hmm. which you could sum it up as an uh, as an anti-revenge movie tell me what you enjoyed about this film like i say it was um despite being really really grim and just pretty much outright depressing 
it was entirely captivating the whole time. Like at no point watching the film did I feel bored in any way. Did I feel like my mind was wandering off onto other things? It, I was yeah. totally captivated by it. It's because uh, you were saying to me like it felt claustrophobic. Right I felt from the like, beginning, yeah. Like everything was as much as the characters were contained, you were contained. Mm. You know, um, in terms of how at the beginning they're driving in this little van, right? They're touring around this punk rock band in a little, tiny little van, and the way it's shot is very close up. Every cut is to another close up of something else, and it makes you feel like there's really constricted space. Mm-hmm. Mm. And when you're seeing outside of the van, I think almost every shot outside the van was from a great distance away, like a long aerial view. Mm. And it kind of gives both the feeling of there's claustrophobia there and isolationism. Do you know what I mean? You're yeah, isolated, you're cut off from the rest of the world. Type America, this is in the Rocky Mountains. In the forests kind of thing, wasn't yeah. it? So yeah. they, um, like we said, they're a struggling punk band. Yeah. And uh, I like the setup, how early on it's established. They don't like social media and things like that. They don't like promoting themselves in a I pretentious mean, way. And it kind of sets up the fact that um, nobody's going to come looking for them. It adds to that sense of despair. Are they any good? No. And that's what I like. They, they avoided that usual film trope of where the band are really amazing, but they're just uh, underrated. Undiscovered heroes type thing. Yeah, yeah, whereas they're basically just a shitty average punk rock band. Yeah, they're a garage band. But like, I, I quite like the idea as well. Like, they're a punk band. This out of step with modern music, not modern society. This, this Again, that's quite, not claustrophobic, but isolationist as Why well. Why do the neo-Nazis like them? Why do neo Nazis? Why do they like, invite them? Well, I presume well, I mean, they invited them um, to play at this show. I mean, since the eighties, there have been Nazi Nazi punks, right? Sure. A Nazi punk scene. Well, and the thing is, is, they take the gig because they originally were offered a gig by some punk with a mohawk, right? Yeah, he's. But a, then it fell through. They didn't quite get yeah. as much money as they thought they were yeah. going to get. Uh, they're interviewed by this. Oh, hold on, I think one he, was, he was a writer for a college magazine. Yeah, he's like a writer that. for a college magazine. In the first act, I like because he's he's your vessel for your introduction to the band. Yeah, he's your he gateway. He sits them down and interviews them. And I really like that scene because the individual band members, they come across as real human beings. They're not stereotypical or archetypal characters. Do you yeah, know what I mean? They feel ragtag. Yeah, it, it, it avoided the usual tropes. Mm. This director, what's his name? Jeremy Solnier, whatever you Solnier. call him. Solnier. He, you could tell he was clearly trying to avoid all of the usual sure. tropes in these types of movies. I mean, what would you call it? Like a siege movie or horror movie? Thriller? Well, I mean, did it become, can I ask a question? Did it become the point where, because he was avoiding the cliches and the tropes so much... It became it became predictable that that was what was going to happen because no, like if was, you know well this is what would normally happen and he's going to avoid it so therefore this will happen. You were looking for the negative space yeah. type thing. No, it didn't become feel like that. It felt so right. natural. Yeah, like he he laid down the track enough that it didn't feel disjarring going in a different direction. It just felt this feels like this is the way this journey is going to go. Nothing about it felt contrived in any way. Perfect way contrived. It felt totally yeah. natural. Yeah. You can't keep us here, man. You gotta let us go. We're not keeping you. You're just staying. Shoot who's left. Let him bleed. Get ready to run. Here we go. And then, but so to give but you yeah, an no, idea, I, the main star 
uh, Anton Anton Yelchin is that you? Uh, Yelchin. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, the Yelich, guy from Star Trek. Yeah, Yelchin. Yeah, yeah, Chekhov, isn't it? Yeah, Commander Chekhov or something. Uh, and yeah, he was in that Terminator film, two thousand eight, yeah, Christian Terminator. Bale as Carl uh, Reese. Salvation. I haven't um, seen that. I liked him. It had a very subtle yeah. tone to his acting. Yeah, they were all. Is it that kind of De Niro underacting? Yeah, where you're not over. Yeah. You're purposely not overdoing. You're underdoing it. Uh, they play were all, the, the method acting style. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, so he's our lead protagonist. And like you say, they did that thing where um, basically they finish their set, they stumble upon this brutal murder where a girl's been stabbed in the head. Mm. And then, uh, like I say, this establishment that they've taken this gig at is run by neo-Nazis. And uh, so they stumble in, they get locked into the green room. When they came- and then at that point, these neo-Nazis, they begin waiting for the kind of patriarch of their group, a character called Darcy, played by Patrick, Patrick Stewart, of all people. Patrick Stewart. Who was also brilliant. in Star Trek. How did you find Patrick Stewart's performance? I like Patrick Stewart. I liked him because he, again, underplayed him. Underplayed. The thing is, like, this movie this uh, had a constant, it was in this constant state of shock. The acting, everything was like on edge, on nerve, but it wasn't like, boom, what's going to happen next? It was like, what would you be like in shell shock? What would you be like? And like, it permeates this sea, you know, these siege characters. And what makes Patrick Stewart character so scary is how calm he is. Very much not typical Patrick Stewart. It's not Picard. Get that out of your mind completely. It's not Picard at all. But I found he was a little bit too mumbly for me sometimes though. It was kind of hard. And I'm not not making a dig at you. It is genuinely he mumbles quite a lot and sometimes you are trying to lean forward to hear what he's saying. Yeah, I'm sure that's that's probably a choice. I would would, would say that that's a choice. For the first 20 minutes, they're talking through a door. Yeah, no, and they're I locked think, in this I think that's, that's worked. That's like this baffling of information, this like loss of lost in translation between this wall. It, it makes it harder for each side to get a grip on what is happening. Mm. And it made us feel that as well. We couldn't quite pick a side as well. I liked I mean, how um, it's quite a violent film. It's very violent. But I it's, liked how you're introduced. It, naturally. Yeah, it's not it, gratuitous in yeah. any way. It's not overdone in any way. Like, uh, there is a point where, kind of little, kind of little bit of spoilers, where someone's throat is ripped out by these attack dogs. Mm. But you don't actually see the throat being pulled out or anything like that. You just see the aftermath in a very kind of darkened gritty way mm. do you know what I mean mm. I mean, it, that, it's not in your face like violence at times it had this point where it had the opportunity to have action drama hero moments and it someone will have the bravado but that won't happen mm. the the cards are stacked against these people so no matter what they do there is going to be something negative that happens to them and there's no movie magic in the sense uh, of how they they suddenly become you know like the kind of Mary Sue type where they're just the, suitably uh, adequate yes. for what the scenario they're put yeah. in in this the, one they're total fish yeah. out of water they have no idea what to do or the A team scenario where you're like oh well we're trapped in a room with light bulbs and beer <laughs> bottles and stuff like that and we clip. didn't we didn't realize that we could just smash this and we've now got a knife type thing. <laughs> It was like it wasn't this turn where everything turned out their way. They're never ever adequate. They're always not up to the task. And that's why essentially anytime they try and get out of the green room, one or two of them will die and they Mm. end up right back in the green room, but they're down two members. Do you know what I mean? And there's always that constant feeling of despair that you do. It's invoked in you in a very genuine feeling of depression. Do you know what I mean? Of like, oh my God, they're they're just fucked. Imagine if, and you do, Mm. you put yourself in their shoes. Mm. Like the director really got that down to a T. Careful now. 
will be over soon, gentlemen. So, I mean, unfortunately, you probably, I mean, I personally would recommend people go see this. Um, if you are uh, sensitive, you've got a weak stomach for anything. Why are you even listening to this podcast? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, we're safe on that one, aren't we, really? So, yeah, I'd recommend this to our listeners. Look, the stamp of approval I give it is I don't buy DVDs at full price. I will buy this at full price. Upon first day of release. Upon first day of release. This joins the caliber of movies that I have bought at full price. Like Men in Black 2. <laughs> I'm joking. Hyman has, spent, Hyman has spent months building up this. I'm a film buff kind of facade. I'm joking. I'm joking. But You're not you... going to edit that out, are you? <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, that about does it for episode 15 of the Tom, Dick, and Hyman show. One five, baby, so close. Yeah, another milestone for the Tom, Dick, and Hyman crew. I keep tripping over these miles. Adam, <laughs> thanks yes, once again for uh, your <laughs> second you. appearance on our show. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Hi, Mo. Thank you once again for being my co pilot on this. You had the chicken, I had the fish, we had a safe landing. <laughs> and uh, we're going to be taking a break next week, and then our comeback episode. Uh, what is. Uh, what it's we the O.J. Simpson trial, baby. That's what it is. Oh, I'm completely obsessed. And the, Did um, he do it? Didn't he do it? <laughs> still, the, the jury's still out in a way. They are, <laughs> and that's what's destroying the whole criminal system. So you got that to look forward to, ladies and gentlemen, when we come back on the Tom, Dick, and Hyman show. It was a man with one arm! <laughs> <laughs>